Hi, listeners, and today we've got Dr. Robert Bust with us. And uh, Bob, thanks for joining us today. Um, there may be some listeners out there who don't know your long history with the nutritional industry and where you obtained your PhD, which I think is important to know as it's pertinent to today's topic. So could you tell us what you did for your PhD and sort of how you came about being interested in, in cardiovascular medicine and, and your background in biochemistry? Yeah, sure. Look, I started off at Macquarie University and I had a, um, a combination of different topics. I was interested in biochemistry, organic chemistry and pharmacology. So it was sort of a triple major. And I was making Ventolin analogues. Ventolin, as you know, is the beta stimulant that's used for treating bronchial asthma. And what I noticed is that when I was making all these 120 different analogues of Ventolin that came from um, getting through the patent of Allen and Hanbury's at the time, which was pretty good. <laughs> but the 120, there was 100 of them that were actually active on tracheal chain, on the heart, on the vas deferens, and I thought, wow, if this is how drugs are, it means that specificity is something that um, is very rare, really, because the drugs act all over the body. Mm. So they call it selective, but in fact it's kind of not like that because mm. if you synthesise a molecule that molecule can act on many different tissues. And that got me interested. When I was doing my postdoc in New York State Health Department, I was working on thrombin inhibitors, and I thought, wow, you know, this is never going to go anywhere. We've got to get back to natural molecules because the natural molecules, you know, if they're in the right balance, you've got the full orchestra, they come from foods, they come from things that we're used to, so you're not going to have the problems that you're going to have with drugs. So that immediately led me out of the drug uh, research and into um, vitamins, minerals, natural food factors, uh, dietary um, influences on health and so on. So coming from a very scientific, you know, sort of uh, pharmacological background, did you always have your interest in biochemistry? Was it always there? Actually, no, it wasn't always there. I, I remember going to New South Wales Uni where I had my undergraduate degree and I said to the guy in front of this long queue that I was on, I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm doing applied chemistry. I said, well, that sounds good. So I enrolled in applied chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> so my very first introduction to uni was applied chemistry and it was only a year later that I then got into general chemistry and biochemistry and, and eventually my PhD pharmacology. So yeah, it, it was a bit of a an interest in the biological sciences that led me through eventually into biochemistry. And what about the nutritional aspect? Was that well, always there? Well, it was always there because my parents were always interested in nutrition, but right. actually it didn't really come into full swing until I got out of the drug research and yep. then I got into looking at foods and nutrients and so on. Of course, I had the, the perfect background for it, mm. but hadn't actually used it in conjunction with the natural uh, medicine. Yeah. I, I think it's really interesting. You, you mentioned before how, you know, there are, there, even though they call them selective, there really isn't this specificity. So we get these side effects if you, t if you overuse um, asthma, med uh, Ventolin um, and salbutamol that you get the racing heart and the anxiety. If you, you can use um, H2 antagonists, um, sorry, you can use antihistamines and get an, uh, a decrease in stomach acid. <laughs> So yeah. there's, there's this sort of crossover effect. You can use um, a side effect of some blood pressure medications is that you get a cough. So, so there's all of this um, crossover effect between the receptors of the body. It's quite yeah. interesting. Yeah. So today we're here to talk about cholesterol. And just to get into that topic, um, I really think we need to know what is 
cholesterol. We, we just treat it as this waxy liquid, but there's a lot more to this story, and you're a real expert in this area. So can you give me a description of just go into what is cholesterol? Well, cholesterol is a fatty substance, as you say, but it's also uh, a precursor to a lot. It's a sterol for a start, and it makes estrogen, progesterone, all our sex hormones. It makes um, stress hormones like cortisol. It, it, without cholesterol, we can't make vitamin D. We can't make bile salts. It's in every cell of the body. It's one of the great um, uh, repairers when it comes to damage that's done to various tissues. This is what I could never understand because when you think about it, everyone's trying to lower cholesterol. You know, let's get the total cholesterol down. I've never really believed that. And I think now we've got evidence to show that that is a very simplistic approach. So when you're talking about getting it down, surely there's a place where it is too high, though. The numbers are important to a degree. You can't have, like, for for instance, familial hypercholesterolemia. Um, It's not just the oxidised cholesterol, or is it only the oxidised cholesterol? No, well, I think that when cholesterol is modified and when fatty acids are modified, they become dangerous, Mm. and that's what we're looking at at the moment. And the different type of lipoproteins and the different shapes and the different numbers is, is, is really very important, and we didn't know that was before. But when you're looking at hypercholesterolemias and the hyperproteinemias, lipoproteinemias, you're really looking at maybe something that's genetic, and yeah, there is, a, there is a, a time when you've got to get the cholesterol down. But for the great majority of people, this doesn't apply. Oh, okay. So, you know, if we go back to that numbers theory, um, which is sort of the major accepted theory with cholesterol, to do with cholesterol levels, if you like, um, it's not as simple as just the numbers. So what are some of these issues regarding cholesterol? I've done, I know I've done that about face. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. <laughs> no, I mean... We're always interested in trying to get LDL cholesterol down. LDL is is low-density lipoprotein, and that's supposed to be the bad cholesterol. The good cholesterol is HDL. That's high-density lipoprotein. We want to get that high. Mm. But there's a little bit more in it now because there's um, different types of low-density lipoprotein, and there's different types of high-density lipoprotein. But the thing that runs through all of these is, is the, the fat itself that's in the lipoprotein particle... Is it oxidized? Is it uh, glycated? Has it been modified? Has it been attacked by free radicals, reactive oxygen species? Because this is the thing that defines whether cholesterol is taken up into what's called foam cells. These are the dangerous cells Mm -hmm. that are found around the artery and end up in plaque. So if we can try and prevent the oxidation of fats in general, particularly the polyunsaturated fatty acids, and also prevent the oxidation of cholesterol, which also can occur, then we're a long way ahead in understanding um, why cholesterol in some people is going to be a risk factor and in other people isn't. And so you've mentioned about the structure of cholesterol and that it has uh, an important factors in repairing injuries. So can you go explain a little bit more as to what the functions of cholesterol are in the body? Yeah, look, the cholesterol is mainly found in all the, all the membranes of the body. And there's a thing called cholesterol rafts. And these are uh, concentrations of cholesterol. It can be up to 40% of the actual cell membrane. They're so important because, I mean, e- even in cancer cells, you get a lot of LDL receptors on the outside because when cancer cells divide, 
they need new cells. This is proliferation of cells. So you're going to need more cholesterol. So LDL receptors are really high on the outside. So you're trying to suck a lot of the cholesterol and the fatty acids in for that reason. So it's really important to understand that cholesterol is one of the major, the major um, factors when it comes to building the body's tissue in general. And in the brain, it's about, I think it's about 25% of the brain is, is actually cholesterol. And you've got to ask yourself, why? Why is there so much cholesterol around if it isn't really important for the body? And the answer is, is it vitally important? So when you take statin drugs, when you're trying to lower total cholesterol, you wonder whether we're doing the right thing. And, you know, if we look back at in the history about uh, Rudolf Virchow and um, Ansel Keys, they're the major sort of scientists attributed with the development of the modern perception of high cholesterol as being a separate risk factor for heart disease. So can you briefly go through the, there's that hypothesis about the numbers and there's another hypothesis about chronic endothelial injury. Can you explain those two well, theories? Well, me? Ansel Keys, you know, was, was a mover and shaker, there's no doubt, in the field, and he's done a hell of a lot of good things. But he had a, what was called, a, it, was, it ended up as a seven-country study where they took seven countries and they showed a relationship between high-fat diets and um, heart disease. And this is called the lipid hypothesis. But the trouble is he started off with 22 countries, but he... In, he through selection bias, he took out all those countries that didn't fit in with the hypothesis. <laughs> and, you know, this is not the way you, you do – this is bad science as far <laughs> as I'm concerned because you really – you don't get rid of all the points that don't fit into a regression curve. I mean, you, you've got to leave it all there. Yeah. So basically, there's no real good proof that a high-fat diet's related to heart disease, including cholesterol, saturated fat, and the whole rest of it. And, in fact, now we know that as you get older, people that are over 60 – will live longer if they've got high cholesterol. There's dozens and dozens of references, but you never hear about these references. That's what's interesting. Mm. You never hear that, you know, if you've got high cholesterol and you're 70 or 80 or 90, you're going to live longer. It's associated with longevity. It's associated with mentation being better. Your cognitive function is better when you've got cholesterol in your brain. All your tissues, I mean, your skin looks better. You, you don't age as quickly if you've got cholesterol. The main thing is to stop oxidation of the cholesterol and to stop oxidation of the polyunsaturated fatty acids, which we now consume too much of. I think it's really interesting that even Rudolf Virchow over 100 years ago, 120-odd years ago, um, spoke about inflammation being a key factor in oh, heart yeah. disease. Uh, and then it sort of got lost <laughs> and we just concentrated on the numbers. So presently medicine is really only concerned with the, the numerical values of you know total cholesterol, of HDL, of LDL and the triglycerides. Um, but I understand that's only part of the story. So can you explain a little bit about this new idea about particle size? Yeah, the LDL <clears throat> they've now found is not just a homogeneous um, a system of, of little balls, if you like, lipoproteins, like little soccer balls that run around in your bloodstream. They're actually large, fluffy LDL particles, and there's the smaller particles. The thing about smaller particles is that they've got a larger surface area. So if the volume is the same, but you've got lots and lots of little particles, that means the surface area is large. That means that the small LDL uh, particles are actually going to oxidise or glycate if you've got lots of sugar in your diet much more easily 
than the LDL particles that are large, fluffy particles. Now, the large, fluffy LDL particles are the way in which you deliver um, cholesterol into the body. So if you've <clears throat> damaged yourself, if you've, uh, for example, if the endothelial lining of the, of the uh, artery has been damaged, then you're going to want to have cholesterol there. You're going to want to have fatty acids there. And this is the type of delivery system, the large, fluffy LDLs, that are very appropriate. But the small ones are recognised by the artery as being foreign. They've been modified. So the outside of the small LDL um, firstly, it hasn't got as many of the antioxidant, uh, the exogenous antioxidants like uh, coenzyme Q10, vitamin E, uh, uh, lycopene, um, beta carotene, all these. There's only one or two molecules, but they're all stuck into these small packages uh, of LDL, particularly the large fluffy ones. But in the small ones, they're missing. So that means you've got an oxidized, the, the small LDLs are really oxidized, very dangerous, and they're taken up by mast cells and they form foam cells and they form, therefore, plaque and eventually a heart attack. Um, and I understand there's, there's tests that can be done, but they're not widely available yet. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. Well, I mean, there's a lot of listeners out there probably saying, oh, well, we don't want LDL done anymore. Let's have a look at the small and the large so we see, you know, what our risk factors like. And you're right, they are. And in America, um, in the US, you can actually get these tests. Uh, they are available. In Australia, I am not aware that they are available at the moment. If you go to a pathology lab and say, look, I want you to differentiate my small LDL from my large LDL, uh, and I want you to do the same with the HDL, which in a similar situation applies, um, I don't think you can do that right now. So mm. you're right. Yeah, I think I was reading just the other day about uh, my John Hopkins Health Alert and they were talking about that they're working on it sort of thing. That's know. right. It's yeah. not widely available yet. So just to explain a little bit more about this second hypothesis. So we've, gone, we've had the numbers and now we've got this chronic endothelial injury hypothesis. Mm. Can you explain a little bit more about the process that happens there, what happens with oxidised LDL and why it happens? Well, you, you, you get oxidised LDL in the first place because you're eating the wrong sort of fats and you haven't got enough antioxidants. Now, what we've done in the last 50 years is we've gone from eating saturated fats, olive oil, um, butter and so on, into eating huge quantities, and I mean huge, like litres of these things, litres of um, safflower, sunflower oil, corn oil, um, soybean oil. All of these are very highly unsaturated, and that means highly unstable, and also means, and you should note this, linoleic acid, which is 60% of these oils, is a powerful um, promoter of inflammation, now, a lot of people are not aware of that. So every time they deep fry something in safflower or sunflower oil, what they're doing is basically taking on board some highly inflammatory oil. So if you can then translate that through to what's happening in the bloodstream in our lipoproteins, of course, these lipoproteins are carrying these highly inflammation-producing linoleic acid molecules. And that is what is responsible for the free radical damage, reactive oxygen species, lipid peroxides, all of the things that gather around the endothelium and cause damage and end up in mast cells and inflammation. So wherever you've got damage, trauma or an accident, you get inflammation. And that inflammation is what you find in the artery. And that is why you end up with cholesterol going into that artery. I mean, if you were to have a look at, say, um, some damage, there's been a huge cyclone has come in and damaged a house. And you're just coming along for the first time and you look at the house and you think, oh, that's in a bit of a mess. 
And on the roof, there's guys putting new tiles on, there's carpenters on the outside, there's painters. It's covered all over with these guys. So all you see is a damaged house mm. and a whole lot of guys on the outside running around. You think, oh, those guys made a, da- made a mess of that, didn't they? Mm. But in fact, they're repairing it. And that's how we should look on cholesterol in general. A lot of the cholesterol is high because it, you need it in the area to actually repair the damage that's done, which is not just in one part of the artery. It's often uh, atherosclerosis is right through, particularly in the bifurcation of arteries and so on. So what you're looking at, I believe, is a repair mechanism in process. And that's why cholesterol is so important in the, in the repair mechanism, particularly with inflammation, because inflammation um, is the damage. Uh, the damage is associated with the inflammatory process, which is also associated with the lipid peroxides and, and the free radical damage that's happened to the, yeah. the artery. And the yeah. advanced glycated end products. Yes, exactly. So a high sugar diet and high yeah. caramelised diet, the, the Muller, um, Maillard reaction. Yeah, exactly. In fact, Maillard's beautiful, isn't it? I mean, have you ever tried, you know, having a combination, of, like for a chicken or something yeah. like that, you know, you can, you can put some sugar on the outside and you get this sort of lovely caramelly sort of flavour that comes through. But that caramelly flavour is not all that good for you. To my understanding, the the chronic endothelial injury hypothesis doesn't necessarily refute the numbers hypothesis of, of cholesterol. It just works in partnership with it to say, well, if there's a lot of cholesterol around, then there's more there to be oxidised. So we should manage that, but not drop it like our current thinking is. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think it's a chicken and the egg. I mean, I personally think that the reason why we have small LDLs and the reason why we have oxidised cholesterols and lipids is because of our diet change in the first place. We have gone from thousands and thousands of years from eating whole seasonally grown uh, fruits and vegetables and, and legumes and, and even our, our, the beef that we're eating, that are, they were pasture-fed. They weren't grain-fed. And when they're pasture-fed, you've got a whole lot of omega-3s in there and the balance of omega-3 to omega-6 oils is, is, is far better. But we've moved away from all that. And when you move away into refined foods, if you've gone into white flour, you've gone into sugar, we're now putting high fructose corn syrup in all our our products. We're putting fructose even in the nutritional products. You know, there's some weight loss powders out there that actually have fructose. Can you imagine that? Why would you put fructose in a weight loss powder? As the second ingredient. Remember, That's right. It's up there in fructose goes straight to the liver and is converted into palmitic acid, a saturated fat. Now, why would you do it? Why do you want to create fat in a weight loss supplement? Mm. So, you know, it, it doesn't make sense. So to answer your question, in summary, yes, I think we've now gone into some highly unstable polyunsaturated oils as a predominant oil in our diet. We have now increased the, the sugar intake in our diet enormously, particularly in soda pops and, you know, some of the drinks that kids are taking. And in fact, there's a, there's a Swiss study that showed a direct correlation between what children are drinking, the amount of sugar in the drink, and the small, low-density uh, LDL. Yep. The, small, the LDL that's small and oxidizable is directly related to sugar intake. 